Welcome everybody to the Republic of Football. I'm your host Shahan J. Raja from Dave Campbell's Texas Football. And we'd like to thank our sponsor, North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers. They're here to help. I'm joined today by Ryan McDonald. We are at Kyle Field, where the Texas A&M Aggies just faced off and gave the number two Clemson Tigers everything they could handle. A 28-26 loss, but an impressive game nonetheless. Ryan, what did you think of their performance? I, I thought uh, from an A&M perspective, I really thought that that's really what you had hoped to happen. A late game, um, I mean, a, a, a primetime game, and then with it being close in the fourth quarter with Kyle Field and the whole 12th man behind you, it was really what, uh, what this fan base had been looking for. And uh, though they came up short, losing 28-26 in the, the last 46 seconds is when Kellen Mond made the, uh, made the throw um, that uh, put them within a, a two-point conversion of uh, tying it up. Though they fell short, I think this was all in all a really big win for them um, in that they were able to prove themselves on a national stage, really hanging with Clemson a lot, and they showed a, a lot of determination and just really took some uh, big steps in the right direction tonight. Yeah, well, you know, one thing that I really was very impressed by was their resilience. And, and I'm, I'm going to have a co- column up on textfootball.com, so make sure and check that out too. But they could have collapsed. It would have been very easy for them to collapse. In fact, nobody would have blamed them for collapsing. And there were multiple points throughout the game where they could have. They were down 28-13. to 13. You know, they, they were down early too, 14-3. to 3. Uh, and then obviously in the fourth quarter, you have that drive where they're driving down the field. There's barely two minutes left in the football game. Kellen Mond has a great pass. Uh, Courtney Davis running down the sidelines. He tries to make a dive for the end zone, loses the ball. It really looks like it goes out of the sideline and not out of the end zone, but they rule it going out of the end zone, a touchback. One of the dumbest rules in sports, by the way. Uh, just the idea that you can be diving for the end zone and lose possession of the ball and, yeah, and lose it. Uh, I agree. That's... It, it's ridiculous, but that's a, <laughs> that's a whole other rant for another day. Yeah, we day. Could have a different podcast. <laughs> right, exactly. But... You know, again, I, I just look at how they handled things, how they were able to stay composed, how they were able to um, to fight back because they go and they struggle and um, and you know they lose the touchback out of the back of the end zone. They get a quick stop, a quick three and out. I mean, barely a minute goes off the clock against an offense that played in the college football playoff last year. Then they come back on the field. Kelmont orchestrates another drive. A huge pass interference penalty helps them out too. Throws another huge touchdown, this time to, uh, which receiver was it again? It was Kendrick Rogers. Yep. Uh, and granted, they don't hurt the two-point conversion. That's all that matters. Eventually, it's a loss. They're one and one whatever. But just the resilience that we saw from them, the fight back from multiple punches that really could have been knockout blows to any other team. Exactly, and I think that that was the, uh, the most encouraging thing that from a, a, an A&M fan perspective that you saw tonight. You saw a team that wasn't going to give up uh, ever since Jimbo Fisher first arrived here. That's been probably his most commonly used word is toughness, and uh, he, he says grit a lot as well, and I, I think we saw both of those things from uh, A&M tonight, and I think that uh, last season and the, uh, a couple seasons, the last couple seasons, uh, we saw a lot of second-half collapses, and that was kind of um, the, the UCLA game being the biggest one, and so I think it was a, a big step in proving that this team has the uh, both the mental, mental and physical ability to make it the full uh, the full game, and I think I just think that they really showed that tonight. Well, Star was born tonight. Kellen Mond, 
incredible performance. And the, the completion percentage doesn't do it justice. 23 for 40, but has 430 yards, three touchdowns, adds 33 yards on the ground, including a 23-yard run. Um, and that's despite facing off against one of the best defensive lines we've ever seen. I mean, again, we've talked about it a little bit, but four defensive linemen, all who could potentially be first on NFL draft picks. Uh, but Kellen Mond looks comfortable in the pocket, uh, you know, reacts well, and, and had no problem sort of dealing with these broken plays where a season ago he would have just tucked it and run. But this year he kept his eyes downfield. I mean, again, even the, uh, the, the final touchdown, it was a sort of broken play. And, mm-hmm. and Rodgers even says that it was Mon's third read. He wasn't supposed to be the primary or even the secondary read on the play. He's a tertiary read, and obviously he makes a great play, but just the development that we've seen from Mond, I, I think is very impressive. And I don't know. I mean, <laughs> obviously, Jameis uh, Winston is a whole other sort of quarterback and, right. and does different things. But, you know, we're starting to see what Jimbo Fisher can do with quarterbacks. He has a reputation, and at least through two games, Monster looks like the real deal. For sure, and I just think that this this year's Kellen Mond compared to last is just completely different. You saw a quarterback that uh, the biggest thing that I've difference that I've seen is just confidence from him. He's he doesn't get frantic in the pocket. Um, he just uh, he was really able to. He was under pressure a lot throughout the night, um, as we expected, as the A and M offensive line was shaky at times. Uh, especially in pass protection, but he was just rolling out, just making plays, and just it seemed like just lobbing it up there. But it was like right to a receiver, and it, it was just uh, just leaps and bounds um, different than what we saw from last season. I just think that um, that's just we, we have a small sample size, but I think that it is a uh, testament to the just the uh, the factor that Jimbo Fisher brings to quarterbacks. Yeah, I mean, Jimbo's definitely a special quarterback sort of coach. I mean, we've seen it, again, with Winston. We've seen it even in small doses with DeAndre Francois at Florida State. I mean, he's struggling right now under Willie Taggart so far. Um, And and Mon looks like that next project. He looks like uh, he's ready to take that step. And really, you compare him to some of the other quarterbacks that that Fisher's coached, he really does have more of a dual-threat ability to him. And... Fisher really had no qualms with using that both tonight and in the first game against Northwestern State. Um, it was very impressive because I remember when Mon came out of high school, right? And mm-hmm. and he was a, he was a good player from IMG Academy and formerly from San Antonio Reagan. But the issue was always that he wasn't very accurate. He, yeah. he really wasn't very accurate. And again, twenty three for forty doesn't sound very accurate, but I don't think that does justice to how many passes he had to throw away how many passes he was on the run, moving, he was under pressure. Um, Drops because of the rain as well. Exactly. Yeah, and that's the other thing too. I mean, again, the elements. I, I was at SMU versus TCU last night, which I'll talk about later on the podcast, but SMU versus TCU was also in a rainstorm. But also it was, it was kind of like the beginning of this game where it was, it was wet and it was ugly and it was humid and, and it just didn't feel good. And I'll tell you what, the quarterback performances last night were very different than what we saw from Kellen Mond today. And even on the other sideline, I mean, Kelly Bryant led a team to the playoff last year. Trevor Lawrence was, for most of the last recruiting cycle, number one quarterback in the class. Both of them played all right. I mean, I actually think that Bryant showed some really good things. And and Lawrence, I mean, again, he's the future at the position. Um, But, again, Mond was the best player on the field at quarterback and really... It's a shame that they didn't come away with the win because he was the player of the night for me. Which is, like, just hearing you say that he was the best quarterback on the field, I would have 
last season <laughs> right. against uh, after last season, if you told me that that would be the case, I mean, I agree with you, but it's just crazy to think about that. That's the progress that he's made in just such a short time. And what we saw it, uh, last week uh, against Northwestern State, so it wasn't a complete shock, but obviously this was a much bigger stage and uh, kind of a polar opposite caliber defense. So just to see him do this under the lights, under a lot of pressure, um, it's just really says a lot about his like mental fortitude and just how far he's improved as an accurate uh, pass rusher that can also uh, pose a threat with his feet. Yeah, I was actually pretty impressed with how Texas A&M handled both lines, actually. I mean, obviously, you know, we talked about Clemson's front got some pressure. I mean, they're the best line in football. Uh, but, but generally speaking, I think that the offensive line did a pretty good job of at least keeping guys in certain spaces and giving him a real pocket to work with, at least. Even though, again, he was constantly under pressure, I think that he, they still did a decent job. On the other line, I was very impressed with what, uh, with what Texas A&M's defensive line and defensive front was able to do. Uh, they, held, they held Clemson to only 115 rushing yards. And again, this is a, an offense that typically is built around the run. And, and Travis Etienne really was not able to get free. He only finished with 44 rushing yards, and 28 of them came on one rush. Uh, again, and that was always the, the issue in College Station, right, especially with Kevin Sumlin, is the offense is great. Now, what about this defense? What do we do about this? And again, it's two games. Right. It's very early. But a lot of these guys are playing like much more mature players than we saw last season. Right, and I think um, just they just seem like they have the ability to go the full game. I don't know if that's a testament to Jerry Smith, uh, the uh, the strength and conditioning coach, but just the the whole defensive interior front is just uh, was it really stuck out to me as impressive how they really they they almost eliminated the run for a lot of the second half. They were Clemson was airing it out a lot, but uh, just with uh, Dodson and Alaka holding it down at linebacker, and then we saw the big sack from Matabuke. So I just thought that they really, really uh, showed out and made a big, big impression on me. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And look, I mean, they brought over Mike Elka from Notre Dame, who had formerly been at Wake Forest. He, he's one of the more underrated defensive coordinators in the country. But they had been working with John Chavis before. It's not like they were. It's not like they were getting coaching from the nobody. Right. And, but just how much more comfortable they looked. The, the the way that they were schemed. I mean, again, this is a an offense at Clemson that's used to being able to dominate the trenches. That's used to being able to uh, to clear the way for their running backs, and it wasn't there. But let's take a step back. Uh, you know, so this is only my second game at Kyle Field. And the first one was Northwest was Northwestern State. Excuse me. Uh, which obviously was a great game, was a pretty phenomenal crowd for a Thursday night against an FCS opponent. But my God, this was different. <laughs> Tonight was different. Right. Uh, we saw a, a big crowd against Northwestern State with it being a Thursday night game. Um, it was still the first game of the season. There was some hype, too. I think there was around 98,000. But this, this game, uh, I think it had close to 105,000 people there, but it seemed like double the energy than uh, we saw last week. Last week we saw some energy at the start, but obviously as A&M uh, got over, um, got the game rolling, and really got really the first uh, pass pass to the tight end, which got the whole uh, crowd hyped up. It was just kind of um, I wouldn't call it dull, but just it just doesn't compare to a game like this. And um, I think that was Jimbo Fisher's goal is just to keep it close into the fourth quarter and try to ride out the uh, the twelfth man. 
Yeah, absolutely agree. I mean, they looked like they were playing against the number two team in the country. They looked ready. They, it was really exciting out here. And I'll tell you what, again, they were not scared off by the elements. Because when I was driving into that parking lot and even driving down, because I drove down from Dallas today to just be at this game, right? Uh, you know, from Madisonville on, it was just so wet and rainy and, and ugly and humid. And, and you got outside, and it was that sort of humid where it was like hot and so it was like almost steaming off the sidewalk yeah it, it was it was miserable but i'll tell you what i i think that obviously if the rain didn't come maybe we would have even seen a couple more people but the vast majority of that stadium was extremely full and the vast majority of that stadium was there at kickoff was there for the anthem was there for uh the flyover all of it i mean it was a special crowd and <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I think that I have talked about before on the pod, but I mean, just the way that Anum does engagement, uh, it feels like there's 105,000 people there, right? Because at some of these venues, at, at NFL venues, for example, you'll have all these people there and it'll be so dead. But my goodness, I mean, Anum fans were in it every step of the way. Uh, I mean, you know, again, you don't want to say too much that they deserve any credit for anything, but I mean, when you. For example, when Rogers broke into the end zone on, on that touchdown catch, that wild touchdown catch, that place went nuts. Just absolutely nuts. Right. That, it was incredible how, I mean, I was down on the field and it was so loud. Um, I, I don't remember the last time that I've seen or, or heard anything that loud. I, we played, <laughs> right. we hosted Alabama here and it wasn't as loud as it was tonight. I mean, I think it was the sixth most, uh, sixth highest attendance game in uh, Kyle Field oh, history. Wow. So that's that's saying something big considering the elements because it it rained the majority of at least the first quarter and everyone was still standing out there, um, braving the elements and just wanting to uh, root on their team. What should the Aggies take away from this game? Because again, obviously it's a loss. They're one and one. They you know we can talk about moral victories, whatever. Um, but what should they take away from this game? So I think that uh, what, what will be taken away from this game is that um, it, it'll probably be a, a more positive outlook because these, I mean, it's a breath of fresh air to a, a fan base that has been, in their expectations, mediocre for a long time. So um, I, I think that they'll focus on the moral victories, but I, I think we shouldn't uh, let it, let it uh, get overblown because... Um, I think that what you can really take away is you have a, a quarterback who is ready to compete. At, he's an SEC quarterback. I mean, he just he, he's shown it the last two weeks. You have your starting quarterback in place uh, for for the future, and just to have him do that so early in the season it just bodes well um, for uh, just the rest of the season. And then I think that you have um, uh, an, an interior defense that. Is, is really solid. Uh, also, uh, a, a high SEC uh, quality interior uh, defense. And just, it, I mean, there's so many what ifs. If Daniel LaCamera makes a 26 yard field goal, which he can do in his sleep, then AM walks out with the win. I mean, you can play the what if game, but uh, I mean, there's two 64 yard uh, just missed tackles in the secondary. Um, that led to touchdowns. So I think that there's a, there's a lot of positive things that can be taken away from this game if you're the, an A&M fan. Definitely. Well, there will be another big test in two weeks. Obviously, Texas A&M travels this time to go play the Alabama Crimson Tide. 
the number one team in the country. I mean, having to play number two and number one in, over the course of three weeks is brutal. But anyway, Ryan, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, so how can we follow you on Twitter? Uh, you can follow me at Ryan underscore MacDonald, M-A-C-D-O-N-A-L-D, two. Uh, so... <laughs> Follow me back, <laughs> or I will follow you back if you follow me. There you go, there you go. Hey, all of our A&M fans got to go follow Ryan. He's a great up-and-coming sports writer. Ryan, thanks so much for joining us, and we will be back with you after the break to recap the rest of the day slate, including some very weird happenings in Austin. So stick around, and we'll be back with you soon. And we're back. This is Jahan Raja. We're here today now to recap the rest of the of the Texas college football slate. And folks, we had some uh we had some weird games. We had some really weird games. But we're going to take you back to the weirdest game of the weekend, Friday night. TCU versus SMU, number 16 TCU 42, SMU 12. And the final score doesn't sound all that weird, but oh my god, this game got extremely weird. I actually have a, a piece up on the website right now. Uh, textfootball.com, please check it out. I don't even know how to describe what exactly happened. Just everything about this game was so weird. It it wasn't necessarily that the play was especially weird. It wasn't necessarily that any particular thing was especially weird, but just everything. It, It was everything. I mean, the game started off with SMU breaking off against TCU's defense. TCU, again, a fantastic defense. One of the best defenses uh, from a rush perspective in college football last season. They allow a 51-yard touchdown on the first uh, the first drive of the game. I think it was the second overall play of the game. Braden West breaks off for a 51-yard run. Take a 7-0 lead. Uh, just a couple, eight minutes later of game time, TCU has the ball. They're backed up in their own red zone. Uh, their punter, Adam Nunez, is back. He uh, And he mishandles the snap on the punt. It flies up. He picks it up. That's the other weird part. He picks it up. Uh, he runs, tries to kick it off again. He fumbles again. SMU tries to recover it and it's kicked out of the back of the end zone. Safety. So they take a 9-0 lead in the first quarter. Just a bizarre football game. There, there was even more weird stuff um, that, gosh, I'm trying to even remember off the top of my head. I mean, there was a snap that just, he tried to snap it and it didn't move. Uh, this is a TCU offensive lineman. I, it was bizarre. I mean, so many of the, the plays were scored in weird ways. I mean, just look at, just look at the first half, first half box score. Uh, Kevontae Turpin, 78-yard punt return. I mean, not that it's necessarily a crazy play, but certainly an unusual one. Uh, oh my goodness. Uh, <laughs> Shewo Alanalua, who, by the way, the press box announcer just absolutely butchered his name, but Alanalua, um, the TCU running back, he broke away for what looks like a pretty big touchdown run. He gets tackled at the six-yard line. The ball goes flying. Jalen Austin recovers it in the end zone, so it does end up being a touchdown, but... It very easily could have been a touchback as well. I don't know. This was just such a weird, weird game. And eventually the better team does pull away. The better team does win. Uh, TCU does win 42-12. to uh, The quarterback play was just awful. Um, you know, Sean Robinson finishes with 146 yards on uh, 15 for 28 passing. But 
42 of those did come on his one touchdown pass, which was more of a Kevontae Turpin putting on the Jets than it was Sean Robinson throwing a good pass. Ben Hicks was pretty terrible. 18 of 38 for 111 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions, 2.9 yards per attempt. Oh, God. I mean... Sonny Dykes is an air raid head coach. Rhett Lashley is a highly touted assistant who formerly coached at Auburn. I mean, God, it was it was such a weird football game. And I don't know. I mean, again, the better team won, but TC sure didn't look particularly impressive doing it. Um, again, they're going to be at the top of, of my college football power pole rankings in the state until somebody knocks them off. Whew, but wow, that was, I don't know, uh, TCU just needs to, to look a lot better. We're going to go on to Saturday, the morning slate, Houston, the Houston Cougars. They're trying to rebound after a pretty terrible showing against Rice a week ago, a 45-27 win over Rice. And they get going much, much, much quicker this time against a Power 5 opponent, the Arizona Wildcats. Remember, Arizona is now coached by Kevin Sumlin, the former Texas A&M and former Houston coach. Uh, let's just say that this didn't really look like a Kevin Sumlin offense. Uh, Houston scores the first 38 points of the game heading into that third quarter. They had a 38-0 lead against Arizona. I mean, Arizona has been a pretty good team fairly recently. Uh, I mean, you know, Rich Rodriguez was fired for a plethora of reasons, but bringing talent to campus wasn't really one of them. Uh, But Kevin Sumlin comes in, you know, he has talented quarterback Khalil Tate. This was really billed as as a matchup between two Heisman contenders with Ed Oliver and with Khalil Tate. And Oliver had a pretty good game. I mean, uh, I think that the box score doesn't do justice to just how dominant he is. He had four quarterback hurries on top of five tackles and and half a tackle for loss. Um, You know, and Khalil Tate did finish 24 for 45 for 341 yards, but with two interceptions. And heading into halftime, he had something like 147 yards, and, and most of them were relatively meaningless. So Houston just absolutely bottled up Khalil Tate, um, even more than Noel Mazzoni did as as Arizona offense coordinator, because again he finishes with eight uh, seven carries for eight yards. It, it, it's just inexplicable to me that you don't try to run him at least a little bit. But Houston took full advantage. Derek King had a great game, two hundred forty six yards, four touchdowns before being pulled early in the third quarter. Uh, the running game looked a lot more comfortable uh, this week than it even did against Rice. Highly touted Baylor transfer Terrence Williams at running back. 12 carries for 65 yards. Patrick Carr, another 8 carries for 62 yards. They rushed for 7.4 yards a carry on the day. It, it was a total dominant effort from the University of Houston. They looked a lot more comfortable than they did a week ago. Um, they got off to a quick start. They were ready. They were uh, excited to go. It, and it really did show up, finally. It, it did show up in the final scorebook. Um, you know, a good win for them. I think it's hard to place what exactly Houston is right now after this game, though, because, again, you look at you look at everything going on here, and, um, you know, to, to struggle at first against Rice, but then come out and dominate a Power 5 opponent, that's a little, it's a little surprising, but at the same time, I mean, I don't know. It's college football. Crazy things happen, and, and so we just kind of roll with it. <laughs> but we're going to go over to Lubbock, Texas. Texas Tech versus Lamar. Texas Tech 77, Lamar 0. 
77 to 0. I mean, look, Texas Tech didn't look all that impressive a week ago against Ole Miss, um, but they made sure that they got things together and they sure made sure that they looked impressive against their FCS opponent. Uh, again, there's very few guaranteed wins on this Texas Tech schedule because you really have uh, this game, you know, the game against um, Lamar, and then you have a game against Kansas. That should be, you know, pretty much a lock. Uh, the game against Baylor doesn't seem like maybe as much a lock as it did at one point, but uh, whatever, you know, you, you take care of business. And, and actually, you know, Ole Miss actually got into a weird game too. They were playing against Southern Illinois. They needed to put together some pretty crazy offensive numbers to eventually beat them se- 76 to 41. Ole Miss had to score 76 points. So it's not a great sign that, that Alan Bowman struggled against that defense, but he looks much better today. 22 for 25, 282 yards, two touchdowns, zero interceptions. Uh, Jet Duffy got some good runs, 7 for 9 for 93 yards. He did have an interception. Um, McLean Carter didn't play, and why would he, honestly? Uh, you know, he obviously is dealing with a high ankle sprain. There's no reason to play him. Uh, you know, that's what it comes down to. There's absolutely no reason to play him, um, and... They don't. They roll. They score 77 points. They have, what, seven rushing touchdowns. Uh, Again, absolutely no reason to do anything otherwise. And, you know, impressive effort for Texas Tech. Again, beating any team 77-0 is pretty impressive. And, uh, and, you know, so to do it against an FCS team, sure, whatever. But it's better than maybe what we thought was going to happen. And that's all we can ask for. Uh, down to, to San Marcos, Texas, Texas State versus Texas Southern. And Texas State does pull off a 36-20 victory. It does get a little bit, just a little dicey late because, um, you know, Texas State takes a 26-0 lead. And then, who else for Texas Southern? You guys might have forgotten. I sure didn't. Trendavian Dixon. Trendavian Dixon scores a pair of back-to-back touchdowns. Uh, one with 7.03 left in the third quarter and one with 13.33 left in the fourth quarter. And all of a sudden, the lead is down to 26-14. I, Texas State never really was in any danger of losing this football game. But, but man, Dixon is really, really good. And, and it's really good to, to see that he still has that. You know, because he hasn't played uh, college football at any point yet. It's been two years since he's been on a football field. Or I guess three years almost since he's been on a football field. Because his last time on the field was the 2015 season because he was a 2016 recruit. Obviously, he has a long road just to get to Texas Southern. Uh, He enrolled at Baylor, left after uh, Art Bryles was fired. Enrolled at Houston, left there under circumstances that were a little unclear. Took all of last season off, had a kid, and now is back at an FCS program, an HBCU, to try to to rehab his his college football career. And and look, he's off to a great start. In the second game, seven catches for 159 yards and two touchdowns. Seven catches and two touchdowns. His first touchdown since his senior year at Navasota. Not too shabby. Really, really, really not too shabby for Trendavian Dixon. Uh, Texas State looked all right. Uh, Keenan Brown with seven catches for 108 yards and a touchdown. Willie Jones, I mean, he's fine, you know, I, I I don't know, I don't know what we really expected from him, but he did it, 235 yards, a touchdown, um, you know, this, this is by far the worst team that Texas State will play on their 2018 schedule, they took care of business, that's good, um, again, got a little dicier than, than maybe it should have, 
and now you do have to head into a pretty tough Sunbelt stretch. But they took care of business. They got their win. They'll take it. <laughs> no strings attached and go ahead and move on. North Texas followed up their win last week against SMU by playing Incarnate Word, and they dominate them 58-16. Did exactly, exactly what you'd expect them to do. Mason Fine goes out there, throws for 418 yards, four touchdowns. It did have an interception, but, you know, again, he threw the ball 40 times. That happens. Um, gosh, Mason Fine following up what he did last week with another 418-yard performance. That's pretty crazy. Because, uh, cause what, that puts him at 902 yards through two games? That's not right. I can't do math. I was told there would be no math, but points is he's having a tremendous start to his uh, to his junior year. And if I remember right, he was only around 2,700 yards shy of uh, setting the UNT passing record when he took over, um, when he started the 2018 season. So now it's what, probably down to like, 18 or 1900 and remember he's a junior he's a true junior as well so he's got a whole another year of eligibility remaining he's going to obliterate every single UNT passing record he's one of the best players in UNT history and uh and he's the best quarterback in the state right now and I don't really think that there's much of a question about that um DeAndre Torrey he only averaged 2.8 yards a carry but he did have three touchdowns on 16 carries uh, they were able to move the ball pretty well against Incarnate Word. You know, the focus was a little bit different than it was against SMU, obviously, last week. But but UNT versus SMU is obviously a rivalry game. Uh, North Texas does plenty. You know, they, and now, let's actually take an aside real quick. Uh, Arkansas, actually, who UNT has next week, they went on the road and lost to Colorado State 34-27. to So that's an SEC opponent going on the road and losing to a Mountain West opponent. Uh, a Mountain West opponent who did not look very impressive in their first two weeks of the season. So now, UNT travels on the road to Fayetteville to face off against Arkansas. I don't know. I mean, I'm surely not going to pick them to win that game, but I don't know. Crazier things have happened. And again, I mean, this is one of those opportunities, right, where if UNT goes goes on the road, beats an SEC team on their home field, uh, Chad Morris, obviously a coach that UNT fans are very familiar with from his time at SMU. Uh, if they're able to go on the road and, and beat Chad Morris and beat Arkansas, I mean, you really do have to start putting them into that conversation for the group of five slot in the New Year Six. I mean, you just do. Because if you, if they beat Arkansas, I mean, who, who else is going to really beat them on their schedule? FAU certainly has a shot, and there's a good chance that they get FAU twice if they play them in a conference title game, but... Oh, man. If UNT beat Arkansas, that would be tremendous. Just absolutely tremendous. Uh, you know, we, we're we talking about how impressive it was that they beat SMU the way they did. If they beat Arkansas, man, I mean, they they might offer Seth Luttrell just... They, they might name the stadium after him. I mean, <laughs> you know, obviously I'm joking. But, but, man, that would be such a huge win for that program. And, uh, again, it would just be another step on their magical 2018 season. Uh, all right, we got we to gotta talk about what happened in this Texas game. This Texas game was so weird. It, it was so weird. And this was, this was a weekend for weird college football games, I'll, I'll grant you that. But Texas 28, Tulsa 21. Tulsa, I, I mean, Tulsa went 2-10 last year. And 
granted, I thought that they'd be a little bit better. Um, you know, with Phil Montgomery as head coach, um, they had a couple of good options at, at quarterback. I, I don't know. I was a little surprised that they struggled as much as they did last season. Um, but then they go week one of the season. They need a pretty late run to be able to beat Central Arkansas, 38-27. And Central Arkansas is not a very good FCS team. They stick around, and they actually miss three field goals. So if, if they hit their three field goals, Tulsa wins this football game. I mean, you know, there's something to be said for Texas just playing a little bit conservative, but if you play conservative against Tulsa, that shouldn't, that shouldn't bite you in the butt. You should just be better than them. You, you should just be ready to go out, dominate them on both lines of scrimmage, and, and just make sure that it's never in doubt. But Texas really failed to do that. There's, there's not necessarily a thing that you can point to necessarily as the reason for it either because, I mean, Texas averages 5.1 yards per carry. Sam Ellinger has two touchdown throws, no interceptions, 8.8 yards per pass attempt. Uh, they, they hold uh, Tulsa's quarterbacks, Luke Skipper and, and Keenan Johnson, who I believe is a, a receiver who, who threw some passes, but they only complete half their passes, 6.3 yards per attempt. 164 total passing yards there's not like a thing right there's there's not like a thing it's just all timing they they had some drive stall some really key drive stall too uh is really what ended up being the issue and they just let Tulsa stick around and score some late touchdowns and make this a game and look last season after losing to Maryland Tom Herman came back home his home debut just dominated, uh, or sorry, not his home debut. I, I believe that actually Maryland last last year was at home. But they come home and they dominate San Jose State, 56 to zero. At least set the tone that hey, there's talent. We can dominate who we're supposed to dominate. This isn't dominating who you're supposed to dominate. If you're a Texas fan right now, how can you look at this game against Tulsa and feel like your team has made progress? Because again. 28 points against a pretty horrendous Tulsa defense. That's not what you're looking for. And I mean, the defense played all right. They had some lapses, and and they were missing safety Brandon Jones, who was out with an injury. But you have to win these football games. You just do. I mean, mean, there's no way around it. You you have to win these football games, and you have to win them convincingly. Um, And and Texas was not convincing in in their win over Tulsa. Now, whatever. They win their game, they get to 1-1, one and one. Uh, but that USC game certainly is not looking particularly marquee anymore. Uh, USC, they lose to Stanford. Now they're 1-1 one one with the freshman quarterback. So this game that was supposed to be this big marquee game, this exciting game, everybody coming to town, everybody excited, it really looks all of a sudden just like almost any other football game. I don't know. Texas USC, maybe no prestige. These teams are combined two and two. They have losses to Stanford and to Maryland. I I, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I'll, I'll give you a little glimpse behind the curtain. Actually, I was really debating between going to Texas USC and TCU Ohio State. Uh, you know, because obviously they start at the same time. I can only be at one of them. And I was leaning pretty hard towards Texas USC. And then Texas loses to Maryland. I'm like, all right, well. Okay, no problem. I guess I guess I'm gonna go to TCU Ohio State, and then USC goes and loses, and TCU Ohio State's like the biggest game of the whole weekend. College Game Day is gonna be there. I mean, 
I don't know. It's crazy to think that Texas versus USC isn't remotely close to the best game of the weekend in the state of Texas. You know, and not only that, to think that the game that overtook it doesn't even involve Texas A&M. I don't know. It's as somebody who's a child of the mid two thousands, kind of, sort of. It's a little sad to see, but um, they do have a chance to uh, to make it up against. Uh, against USC next week, uh, Texas does have plenty of big games left that they can prove themselves. But, whew, it's just this is not the start that you were hoping for if you were Tom Herman. Th- this really was not. You know, they there were people from the game posting clips, but Tom Herman was walking, you know, into the tunnel and was trying to run over to the student section and get them fired up, and run over to the donor section and get them fired up and. Just nothing. Somebody described it to me as a Jeb Bush please clap moment. Uh, ugh. Ooh. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I mean, Tom Herman's going to be fine. I mean, obviously Tom Herman's going to be fine, but... Whew. Man, I don't know. It's getting a little weird out there. UTEP 24, UNLV 52. UTEP goes on the road to Las Vegas puts forth a pretty poor performance against the LV Rebels. Uh, both quarterbacks continue to play. Kyle Oxley only completes 6 of 19 passes for 57 yards. That's, oof, oh boy, that's, it's not great. He, he does have 119 yards rushing and two touchdowns, but man, oh man, it, it just really looks like maybe that, that UTEP passing game is not going to come together right now because between Loxley and Ryan Metz, who came in later, they were combined 11 for 29 for 123 yards, 4.2 yards per attempt, and, a, and an interception. No touchdowns. Oh, man. That is that is absolutely pitiful. I mean, obviously, UTEP, this marks their 14th straight loss. Um, you know, UNLV moves to 1-1 one one on the year with the performance. It's just bad. I... I I don't know how else to try and spin it. UTEP just doesn't... They're taking some steps, but they're also taking some steps back. It's just hard to see where the improvement's going to come from because, again, the slate doesn't get a whole lot easier. You know, you you play a pretty good CUSA slate. You go to Tennessee next week. Maybe there's an opportunity against New Mexico State. I don't know. I mean, it's just hard to see where exactly... These potential wins are going to come from. I, I don't know. Next up, we got Baylor versus UTSA. Uh, a game between two FBS uh, Texas teams, of course. Uh, Baylor avenges the loss from last season. They lost last season 17-10. to This year, they win 37-20, to a game that's never really in doubt. Uh, Baylor scores the first 10 points of the game. Um, UTSA does cut it to 10-6, but then... Baylor scores another touchdown, pulls away by two touchdowns, um, and, and it's never really close after that. Both quarterbacks, Jalen McClendon and Charlie Brewer, played for the Bears, uh, and, and this time Brewer looked really good. McClendon was the guy last time that, that really looked very impressive again, uh, in the season opener, but this time around, Brewer was the guy. He completes 23 of 34 passes for 328 yards and three touchdowns, uh, and on top of that adds 22 rushing yards. I mean, he looked like the old Charlie Brewer. He looked like the guy who had everybody excited last season. 
And maybe it's just rhythm. Maybe it's just that he had some opportunities to get going. Um, but it, I, I don't know what exactly it is. But, but Brewer looked really good. He looked accurate. He looked confident. He looked decisive. And that's a big thing. Uh, another guy who looked really, really good for Baylor, Jalen Hurd. Jalen Hurd, the Tennessee transfer, obviously, you know, I don't need to tell you that he, he formerly played running back at Tennessee, but he caught eight passes for 136 yards and a touchdown. Denzel Mims adds eight catches of his own, 133 yards and a touchdown. These two guys are doing exactly what Baylor fans hoped that they'd be doing. I mean, they're absolutely dominating these, these defensive backs, especially, obviously, UTSA's defensive backs. And UTSA has a pretty good defense. I mean, they didn't show it last week against Herm Edwards and... Arizona State, who, by the way, Herm Edwards in Arizona State, they moved to 2-0 after beating Michigan State. Oh, man. That, Maybe we were wrong about Herm Edwards, but that's that's a conversation for a whole other podcast. But UTSA has a pretty decent defense, and um, and Baylor's wide receiver uh, duo of Jalen Hurd and Denzel Mims was kind of able to do what they wanted with them, You know, so which is a good sign for Baylor. Uh, UTSA just really, really could not get anything going offensively. Cordell Grundy has really struggled since he's taken over the starting job. He only completed 18 of 33 passes for 157 yards. Again, 4.8 yards per attempt. This is this was a really bad quarterback weekend, wasn't it? I'm just going through these games right now, and wow, there are some terrible quarterback lines right now. And I guess it shouldn't come as a huge shock. There's a lot of quarterback instability in the state. Um, and, and again, the guy on the other side of the field, Charlie Brewer, was supposed to be one of the guys who who maybe was one of the torchbearers in this conference. Obviously, Mason Fine's incredible. But, man, you know, you talk about, you know, Ellinger was fine, but Sean Robinson was pretty bad. Ben Hicks was just terrible. Kai Loxley and Ryan Metz combined are just brutal. Uh, you know, Kelmont, another one who had a tremendous game. But there was a lot of bad quarterback play this weekend, wasn't there? And that's going to have to change quick if, uh, if the state of Texas is going to try to fight back from the, the depths that they've been at the past couple of weeks. But, um, okay, Grundy struggles. Uh, B.J. Daniels, the UTSA running back, does have a pretty good game. 16 carries for 90 yards, including a 36-yard touchdown. But UTSA really just can't get enough going on the ground. That's what it comes down to. Uh, Baylor tried to give them opportunities. I mean, their their offense did not play particularly well, uh, but at the same time, I mean, if, if UTSA can't capitalize, then all of it's for nothing. So Baylor avenges that loss. Baylor has a tough test next week. Uh, they actually host Duke, and Duke has looked very good the first two weeks of the season. Um, they just got done beating Northwestern by a pretty significant margin. It's going to be a pretty good test for Baylor. I mean, the first two weeks of the year, you have Abilene Christian. You take care of them without too much issue. You have UTSA. You avenge last year's loss. But at the same time, this UTSA team is quite a bit worse than the team that you faced against last season. Now you go play Duke, who's better than what you played last season. You do get them on their home field, but they're rolling right now. They're going to take advantage of your mistakes, and Baylor's still making a lot of pretty dumb mistakes. Uh, So that's going to have to change pretty quickly for Baylor. And... On top of that, I'm curious how Rule handles the quarterback situation because, again, Jalen McClendon and Charlie Brewer have both had games where they looked great and both had games where they looked terrible through two games. So I don't know whether they keep trying to switch off and and see who the hot hand is. Maybe that's just what you do. But Duke's one of those teams that 
they're ready to beat you. I mean, they are absolutely ready to come in and beat you. So you got to be ready. Um, and, and I'm curious to see what exactly Rule does and how he handles this week. And we're going to finish off with the Rice Owls. They scored 29 points against the Hawaii Rainbow Warriors, but Hawaii scores 43. Cole McDonald, the, the quarterback for Hawaii, has another just sensational game. 319 yards, 22 of 33, 9.7 yards per attempt, 4 touchdowns, 0 interceptions, and 43 rushing yards. He, I, I mean, look, we're not going to spend too much of our time talking about a Hawaii quarterback, but through two games, he had 846 yards and 9 touchdowns with 0 interceptions. He just keeps that going. He just keeps it going against Rice. On the other end, uh, Sean Stangovich... He's been really impressive through the first couple weeks of the season. Uh, he has 299 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. Another guy who's been really impressive for Rice, Emmanuel Asuka, Asukpa, excuse me. Um, you know, he has 17 carries for 104 yards and a touchdown. Rice has a little something, something. I mean, Hawaii's defense isn't very good. But Rice might just have a little something. I don't know. They, they've, they've been feisty they've been getting after it I don't know I'm pretty impressed by what Rice has been able to put forth offensively defensively it's a different story they're not able to really stop much anybody and I mean again they Rice hired a Stanford coach you know so they're gonna need to be able to start stopping people but not yet I mean it's okay if not yet uh you know I think they've been pretty impressive so far on offense and that's a good start. You know, last year Rice couldn't do anything well against anybody. And Rice last week, again, they have a very good opening performance against Houston. They go on the road now against Hawaii, put up 29 points. There are signs. And that's all you can ask for if you're Rice right now is to just show some signs. And I think they're doing that. Anyway, everybody, thanks so much for joining us again this week. Uh, we always appreciate you you stopping by uh, Please get involved with the show. Uh, subscribe to us on your preferred podcast app. Like us on Facebook, Dave Campbell Sex Football. Follow us on Twitter at DCTF or follow me at Shahan J. Raja. Um, and again, we'd like to thank our sponsor, North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. We appreciate them. I mean, again, like I said, I bought a car from North Texas Honda Dealers. And that was before I was even advertised by them, okay? So they're a great, uh, they're a great company. Make sure and support them. Thanks so much for uh, paying attention to the show. If you have any feedback, please let us know. Uh, if you like the show, please share it with your friends. Give us a five-star review on your preferred app. And, folks, we'll be back with you on Wednesday to look forward to the week ahead. And we've got a big one. It's a big upcoming week. TCU Ohio State. We've got Texas USC. We've got UNT Arkansas. We've got Baylor Duke. There are so many fun games ahead. Uh, SMU travels to the uh, travels to the big house to play against Michigan. It's going to be a fun weekend. We're going to be right here to help uh, make sure that you're on top of all the news and notes in the state of Texas. And folks, we will talk to you again on Wednesday.